What's happening? Welcome to Wong Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wong. Today, I got some messages online asking me a question that I get actually a lot, which is, hey, Corey, I don't feel like I'm getting any better at guitar. How can I practice? And I was thinking about it, and I think there's so many ways to tackle that question. And one of the main things that I think about is in your routine for practice, there's the brain work, the head work, you know, like the knowledge and the understanding side of things. And then there's the hand work on the guitar. And those can be split up into different things, right? Like there's left hand exercises, right hand exercises, and then there's uh, synchronicity exercises to get you your hands working together. So a lot of times people are working on practicing just whatever, and they're not realizing the thing they really need to focus on, it's in their hands. Or a lot of times people are practicing and they're trying to work on something. It's like, ah, I just don't understand how to do this. And the issue is not with their hands. They have all the technical facility and dexterity in the world that they would need. It's actually more in the understanding of the fretboard or it's the understanding of harmony or theory. And when I say that, I kind of say that with a little bit of a caveat of, I don't think it's super important for every person to know tons of music theory. I think it's just important to know the things that you need to know in order to communicate with the musicians that you play with and to have a better understanding of just how harmony works in general. Whatever, that's fine. But I think my number one tip in this, the simple thing is, whatever you're working on, try to figure out whether the disconnect is a hands thing or a brain thing. Do you actually understand this. I mean, the, the simple method is just like if you the simple analogy is with with sight reading, you either know where the notes are on the guitar or you don't or you know what the notes and rhythms are in your brain, but you can't quite get them interpreted on the guitar fast enough. For many of us, I grew up reading music on several instruments, so I can read music really fast. I know the notes and the rhythms. I can sing it and kind of like hum it. I know what it's supposed to sound like. But sometimes getting that interpreted onto the guitar is actually where the bottleneck is for me in in sight reading because there's so many different ways to play a C on the guitar, you know, in different positions, different areas on the neck. So try to figure out what it is that's holding you back, whether it be your hands side of things or your brain. That's my simple answer to that. And then, hey, tell you what, I got a new guitar course out, Fourth Position Academy, the Corey Wong Guitar Course. Look up either one of those. I've got more than five hours of lessons. There's a lot more lessons, and, and I go through all these things. Um, there's an entire thing called the Principles of Practice that I even talk about. Anyways, today on the show, we have an incredible incredible producer, songwriter, singer, artist, Linda Perry. I first got hip to Linda Perry watching MTV, hearing the Four Non Blondes tune, What's Up? Some people think it's called What's Going On, because that's kind of the hook line, but the song is actually called What's Up? And then I did a deep dive on Linda Perry when I was in college and noticed like, oh, she's been writing insane hit songs and producing incredible records and like with with ridiculous artists. Like I'm looking at this list right now. I'm looking at Christina Aguilera, Pink, Adele, Gwen Stefani, uh, Cheap Trick, Alicia Keys, Celine Dion, 
Miley Cyrus, Ariana Grande, like a lot of artists and over a lot of years. That's the thing that's actually really cool is there's so much wisdom and so much time honing in this craft. And time and time again, Linda has shown to be an incredible producer and songwriter and collaborator. And what I found out in this interview, a great mentor to a lot of people and now even a manager. So I'm really stoked about this interview. It was a really fun one for me. It's one that I've wanted to do literally since season one because I'm such a huge fan of what Linda does. So not going to hold you any longer. Linda Perry. This season of Wong Notes podcast is brought to you by DistroKid. If you're not familiar with DistroKid, it's who I use to upload my music and whatnot to the internet. So I put out an album. DistroKid will send it to Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon. With other services, sometimes they charge you by the album per year. So like you have five albums out, they'll charge you for each album every year. With DistroKid, it's just one yearly fee. As many albums as your band has, they can be up there. And that's just one cost. I love it as somebody who puts out a lot of music. And if you're in a band or that sort of thing, you can actually pick your team and they'll do splits for your team. So you can choose this person gets 25% of the royalties. This person gets 25%. This person gets 2% because they didn't contribute to the group project or whatever. No, 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 no. You can choose whatever percentage you want for as many collaborators as you want. So it's amazing. Check it out. Distro Kid. Let's get to it. Linda, thank you so much for being here. I am such a fan of yours. And as a guitar podcast, I know you have so much to offer us being as you are such a all-star songwriter, singer, producer, musician, so many different things. I would love to get your perspective on a lot of things. So thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. Now, I just want to dive right in as a guitar player and working with and talking to so many different guitar players. A lot of people that are guitar players think, okay, I've spent time honing my craft on an instrument. This, this doesn't even necessarily apply just to the guitar. It's just instruments in general. They've spent so much time honing in their instrument and then they think, oh yeah, like I'm just going to be a good songwriter too because I play the guitar so well. Now, you and I both know that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes we get lucky, but I'm wondering... From your point of view as a master songwriter, where are things oh, that people get? <laughs> where <are> people <laughs> You are, and I know you're being humble, you're 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 trying to deflect, but you are a you are a master songwriter. Uh, proven time and time again. For people who are very proficient on their instrument and get into writing songs, what are some things that they typically have blind spots towards? What, what are some things that, that you see like, oh, I see why you're doing this, but tweak this? Mm. Well, I think for me, one of the number one um, distractions is people overplaying, overdoing it, overcomplicating, mm-hmm. trying to show their flair, their flash, look at me, look at me kind of stuff. Um, and then what happens is you know, the song kind of takes a nosedive in, um, you know, as far as where the bar should be. The bar should be up here. We should all be writing great songs. But, you know, we're not. And um, we're making good tracks. We're creating a a lot of distraction. 
Um, we're putting car chases and shootings and all this stuff in it to distract from the fact that there's not a really strong story here. So I'm going to make it, you know, a hero's piece or whatever. We're going to put all the gore and all that stuff because, you know, I, 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 I do, I, I talk in visuals a lot because it's the way I write. So anyways, I think that, you know, I have friends that are great guitar players, but they couldn't write a song to save them life, their life because they're so focused on how my guitar part is. You know, it's like, oh, let me just put... And then I say, I couldn't sing over that. I don't know how you're going to sing over that, but I can't sing over that. So, you know, I just try to get everybody to simplify. Like, let's just start with... What are the chords? Okay, it's this, this, and that. Great. Let's find the song, let's find the melody, and then create around that. Because I think what happens is when you have a players, they're playing all these things, it becomes very hard to find a melody and weave through it all, you know? So anyways, I just try to get everybody, let's just, yes, you're a great guitar player, you know? Yes, ooh, I bow to you and your profession and all that, but you suck at songwriting and your guitar playing isn't gonna be heard. Because your songs suck, you know, so there you go. So maybe come up with the song first. Anyways, that's kind of, I'm a pretty straight shooter. I'm I'm sure you know. Um, yeah. I love music and I love writing and I don't know. I think that everybody needs to just chill out a little bit and stop with all the overdoing it, you know, and just sure. focus on the song. You hit something really nice there that, that kind of might hit a dagger towards a lot of people in a good way where it's like, yeah, you might have a cool guitar part but nobody's gonna hear it because the song's not any good yeah well (laughs) hello that happens all the time and and i mean you know i mean you're you're kind of in a band that you know jazz people love you know it's like you're you there's a lot going on but that's the style of that style of music but when you're writing you know when you're just trying to get your feelings out or whatever there's a, a different type of writing that needs to happen so the question should really start with um, what do you do with this type of artist or this type of songwriter? Because it's all different. If you're in a funk band that is progressive and has a bit of jazz in there, well, you're doing a great job, you know? And if you're doing, you know, samba and salsa, there's a different approach. If you're doing pop, there's a different approach. If you're doing country, songwriter, alternative, all different approaches about, right? I mean, I have a band called Surfboard. And they're a punk band and they're awesome, you know, and they have a record dropping October 11th and it's so good. And the way we recorded it. So when we were in, I put them in a rehearsal room and, you know, they were like, what? You know, like, yeah, you're not coming into the studio. You guys don't have any songs yet. You know, we got to go to a good old fashioned rehearsal room. And they were like stoked. And then we worked out the songs and it was interesting because they had written all the songs, but they just kind of misplaced the hooks. They kind of threw them in there and then they went by just like that. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what was that? You know, back up. And they're like, what part? No, nope, not that, not that, that right there. And then I basically take it and extend it out and then rearrange some things. And all of a sudden the album was all there, all ready to go. We came into the studio, we pushed record and we just played live. Um, And that was really great because with that band, I needed to take a different approach. It wasn't about, you know, overdubs and tracking and, hey, Danny, let's get you to really do some layers and your vocals and you're gonna do this and you're gonna do that because they're a punk band. 
I didn't, I didn't want to green day them, you know, like ruin it. You know, it's like, that was like, the whole point was to keep shots fired. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, you know what I mean? So they're they're a cool, surfboard is a cool punk band and I kept them a cool punk band. Yeah. So a lot of where you're going there is producer language and kind of helping shape things. Every producer brings different things to the table. Every producer has their kind of niche or their style of production. It sounds to me like one of the big things that you bring to the table is your songwriting experience and your ability to just kind of look at it from above and like, oh, wait, 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 that's, that's the thing that's magnetic. How do we bring more magnetism to this song? You enhance that thing. Again, thank you. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I think I'm okay at what I do. I'm, I have a lot to learn. So I do appreciate you giving me these sure, phrases. Yeah. Um, so please don't think I'm just, I'm not, def- you know, deflecting. But okay, I, yeah, yeah. I'm just, um, I'm just got so far to go, you know. And so I don't ever accept the win. I'm just like someone that's still just trying to go and be the best that I possibly can. And probably will never reach that point because I'm so like, you know, crazy about, you know, I just want to absorb. Anyways, um, I think the producer is just the songwriter. I don't think I'm actually a producer. I, I think that when I'm writing, I just want to protect the song so badly that I kind of became a producer because, again, you know how a producer can ruin a song. And a producer can make a song better. But I feel that coming from the songwriter point of view, not the producer, is how I work with the artist. The producer shows up because I hear I hear it in here. So I have to start. I just think I do really cool demos. That's what I look at. You know, my style is like I make really great demos. And, um, you know, I just want to capture the heart and the feel of the song because when you write a song and it's right there and you just wrote it, that's the essence of the song right at that moment. So it is my job to capture that. And it's my job to tell every artist to make sure whatever you do, record that fucking vocal the best you can, because that vocal is guaranteed going to be the best version of that song. So make sure you capture Mm. it, you know, and, um, so yeah, so then the producer comes out and just, I'm very simple. I'm a simple producer. I just, again, if you have a great song, I just let the song speak and then we bring in all the other characters to play the, uh, a part in it. Yeah. Was that, did I answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. When you're working with a band who comes to you and says, we've got all our songs done, we just need somebody to help us. In it, like we don't, we don't need songwriter producer. We just want somebody to produce our songs, and you know that something is maybe not as well, I'll say not as magnetic as it could be. And you, you, you think, oh my gosh, this could enhance because of this. At what point do you toe the line between like I have to say something because this is going to make this a hit song, or okay, you all did your work, you worked on the song enough. I'm going to let you. I'm not going to speak up, or is it just? Look, you hired me for this position. I got to tell you, this is going to be way better because of this. The interesting thing about me is everybody always comes to me for the package. So I rarely work with somebody who just wants me to produce. Yeah. I have a lot of people, strange enough, um, that will 
managers, labels, bands that just finished their album or they're on their on almost done and they want to come and play me the record and ask me for my opinion. And I love that. I think it's actually a really great compliment because they they're coming to me for honesty, you know, and so I'll sit here and I don't, you know, I just say it as it is, how I hear it, you know, or feel it. And most of the time when I say to people like, well, honestly, I get what you're trying to do, but I feel like you guys were chasing, you know, you're chasing other things. And because there's a moment right here in this song where it sounded so real and it really grabbed me, but then you went into all this other stuff that really didn't feel like it was who you guys are. And then literally they will go, that's, that's exactly it. We, nobody would tell us that, you know, the management the label, everybody kept saying it was good. We got confused. The producer was kind of pushing this and pushing this direction. And the piece that you just picked out or the song, that's our favorite song and blah, 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 blah. I mean, I've had bands um, scrap their records based on things that I've said. Um, and I've had people upset, you know, at me for things that I've said. So with that said, I can't just stand there and listen. And um, especially if somebody comes to get my opinion or work with me, if they're playing me songs that I just feel like are mediocre, I mean, honestly, I don't fucking know, man. I don't know how to write a hit. All I know is how to write from the heart. And if that hits, great. If it doesn't, I'm a winner anyways, because I wrote something where my integrity and my intention was just to create. So when you create in that, frame of mind when your intention is to create something just beautiful or great, you're, you win, you win. There is no loser in this, but when you create on the, the intention to have a hit and be like this and get on the, whatever radio's left and whatever we're doing, influencers, TikTok, blah, 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 blah. I want to, I want to, you know, groove with everybody else. I think you lose, you lose so much when you do that because maybe your song doesn't hit. So you lost that. How embarrassing that I did everything. Everybody told me what to do and it still didn't succeed. And really this is not what I wanted to do. Or you do hit, then you're stuck with shit that you don't want to do, <laughs> you know? So lose all the way around, unless this is exactly what you want to do and you win, 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 you know? But um, I, I have to understand that when I speak, and I open my mouth that sometimes people may not like what I have to say. Sure. Now, I imagine that many of the artists that you work with are in different stages of understanding their creative self and understanding or really having a vision cast for what they want to say creatively, like you're talking about. And having something, obviously something from the heart is something from the heart, but I think we each have a different connection to our sense of identity as people and as artists, and then how to use that identity for what, whatever message or vision we're trying to go towards. When somebody is in more of the infant stages of that, how do you help them find their identity and who they are as an artist and help them cast a vision for what they want to say just in the world? That's a really good question. I, I feel like a lot of people are looking for that answer. Um, you know, there's a lot of great bands out there that will never be heard. Mm -hmm. And that to me is sad. So what ends up happening is, yeah, I mean, I like the underdogs. I, I, I look for the, 
the artists that don't have any followers, I, I torture myself. I literally look for the most impossible situation and that's what I'm attracted to. And it's so funny because, you know, I'm not attracted to people who have, you know, influence and it's just like blah, blah, blah. The way labels are signing, labels sign numbers, you know, and they're false numbers too. Like, it's so weird that labels buy into that, you know, that trap. It's like they're false numbers that they're buying into. And then they sign these, you know, influencers that do okay. And then they drop them, you know? Mm -hmm. So anyway, so I have a 17 year old, for instance, um, I think this will answer your question. So she's, when I met her, she was 13 and incredible little artist, but not ready. She's not ready to go make a record with Linda Perry and, you know, go, you know, do all that stuff. So I mentored her. I just stuck near her and I never wrote one song. I just guided her to Mm -hmm. what I felt would be better for her. Um, Changing tempos, changing keys. Hey, did you think about maybe writing more, you know, with this type of progression or, you know, just kind of drop little bombs, you know, in her ear. And, um, you know, 13 turned into 14, turned into 15. Then I felt like, you know, okay, I introduced her to the world of Dolly Parton and got her a duet with Dolly Parton on this Dumplin' soundtrack. And I wouldn't have done that, but Dolly fell in love with her. So Mm. great. She was ready to do that. It's like, okay, great. And then, you know, one day Brandi Carlisle called and said, I love that artist of yours, Willa Amai. Um, do you think she'd be interested in jumping on stage with me at the American Music Hall? I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> and so we drove out there and she sang. So like little stuff like that. And um, and then when she turned 16, we released an album. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to teach her that I can't always be there for her. She goes to school. She has great parents. She has a wonderful family. And, but she's a great songwriter. And I'm trying to, uh, get her to understand that, listen, it's, it, this is not part-time kid, you know, it's either you're in or you're out. And those are the decisions that you need to find within yourself. Um, um, because you're going to have to work. If I'm working harder than you, there's a problem. And so that's what we're working on right now. That, um, is getting her to understand and appreciate the things that are happening. Um, and it's slow still, like we're still, at a, you know, a level where we're not ready to, you know, ring the bell and say, oh yeah, we succeeded, but we're climbing slowly. And it's really great because I'm moving at a pace with her that she needs to move at. She's not ready to be a rock star or, you know, that yet. It's like, so I'm just kind of helping her and I'm ended up managing her and, and she's doing great, you know, and, and, you know, for what, we're doing. And then, um, so that's what I feel like I, but then there's like, you know, flip to my band surfboard. They are hungry. Danny is like, I want it. I want to gobble everything. And they're moving at a very fast pace and, you know, um, and things are moving faster for them because their energy, you know, and I think that's, if I had to say anything to artists right now, it's like, it's so important, your motivation and your drive, because it's your drive and that feeling in your heart that I want to 
I want to conquer the world. I want to be bigger than Adele. I want to, I want to, you know, win seven Grammys. I want to buy my mom a house and, you know, uh, you know, Encinitas. And I want the house to be a two story. And I want to get her a car that sits out in front because I think it's going to look good for her. And it's going to be a gold Mercedes. And then, you know, and, and hell, I want Dior and I want Gucci making clothes for me. And I mean, if, to the every little detail, Every little detail that you see where you want to be, you got to think about it and you got to be hungry and you got to go after it. But those artists out there right now that are just sitting there waiting for to wake up and see that their numbers exploded and their big influences or they exploded overnight. Fuck you. It doesn't work that way. You know, it doesn't work that way at all. And when everybody is working harder than you and you're just waiting for it to just land in your lap, go fuck yourself. I don't want anything to do with those kind of people, because to me, that's the part of the business that's getting ruined. You know, it's it. it and then labels suck into that. It's like and, and they're stupid. They're dumb for doing that. They've already ruined the business as it is. And now they're continuing to make choices to continue to ruin the business. And there's awesome artists out there. They're never going to be heard because people won't look at them because they don't have the fucking numbers that they're, you know, thinking is going to happen. That's going to make their world easier. Labels are lazy. They just want to make they want things brought to them. They want the the artist to come in with all the numbers and do all this. And then they just cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. And then that's it. No thought, no creative, nothing is happening there. It's all, the lights are fucking out. Sorry, I went on a tangent there for a second. That's all right. Do you, when do you feel like that changed when labels went that direction? Or has it kind of always been that? Uh, well, the funny thing is I was talking to this one pretty big, you know, executive. And I'm like, say, what are you doing through the pandemic? Like, how are you guys looking for art? Oh, well, you know, we're just, uh, you know, right now we're just signing uh, influencers because, you know, that just helps with the marketing. And, you know, we just can't afford right now to look at artists that are, you know, not, you know, that don't have as much, uh, uh, you know, followers or audience yeah. or blah, I'm like, so what is different about that than it was 10 years ago? Because <laughs> they were doing that 10 years ago. It's yeah. Like, so what part is different? What are you doing different? So now you're just signing the TikTok influencers. We're, we're very exactly like the, the pop stars that you were signing back then, just that had hits and top lines and they were in and out. So what part is different? And then he looked at me and he started laughing. He was like, I guess not much. <laughs> well, there's one, there's one label. Well, there's, there's several label groups in different parts of history that I've been very interested in. Things like, you know, Blue Note or mm -hmm. ECM, some of those kind of labels back in the day, Columbia even. But there's one Interscope in the 90s seemed very interesting to me. Now, I've, I grew up with MTV as kind of a babysitter to me. I grew up watching MTV every day in the 90s as a little kid, probably when I shouldn't have in a lot of cases. And you at one point were signed to Interscope, along with like pretty much every cool band, it seemed like, at the time, when I like would buy CDs and I'd look on the back, it's like, Interscope, how are they involved in so many cool things? And then, you know, I'd see subsidiary labor, or they were a subsidiary, and so many different things. Can you tell me what that environment was like, the Interscope? Since, since we're talking labels now, I'm just curious about that, since you had direct experience there. 
Well, I want to start off by saying I love the music business. So when I harp on the labels, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm just yeah. harping on the labels because they should do better. Um, sure. And but I love this business up and down all of it. Yeah. I, I, I love it. I love it. It's just like so crazy everything that happens in it. Anyway, so Interscope was um, had Jimmy Iovine. Jimmy Iovine is a, a winner. You know that guy. Yeah. He has great ideas and he's got. You know, he's definitely thinking ahead. And they were, you know, I think at the time they had Gerardo and I think they had No Doubt, but No Doubt wasn't doing anything. I think they just signed Primus and they're about to sign Helmet. And then they signed us. So that was the, that was kind of the roster at that time. And we were the, we ended up being the biggest thing that they, they had um, when we broke. So it kind of broke the label and then they were starting to sign all these other bands. And then, you know, Tom Wally was my A&R guy and they were great. You know, they, you know, Tom, Jimmy, the, actually Interscope was very, very awesome because they were small, they were hungry and they had a point to prove. And, you know, and that's what I'm talking about. When you're hungry and you're, and that is your motivation is to feed and survive you can do so much, you know, and, and I think that's what they did. They came in strong, though they had some good money behind them with Ted Fields, but they, they came in very strong and very aggressive with what they wanted. And, and they succeeded because they had ideas, they had a point of view and they were doing things differently. So our time with them was great, you know, but what ended up happening as all things they did get popular. And, you know, when it came down to me wanting to actually make music in a different way, like Four Non Blondes was not my thing. I was just in this band and I wrote some songs and we got signed and we made it big. But it wasn't, it wasn't my heart, you know, it wasn't my heart. And I wanted to go make a record that was my heart. And at that time, they didn't want that because it wasn't going to be commercial. And I made it very clear to them that it's not what I wanted to do, that I just needed to kind of go and do some other stuff, you know, without the band. And so, you know, it did get a little messy with that part. And then, but Tom Wally, he runs Loma Vista. I mean, they're great. Like he's got this whole thing over there where he's like, you know, we're just doing what we're doing at our pace. And you know, we're not going to do, we can't compete with the big people. So we're just going to just pick our lane and stay in it. And he's having great success over there. Um, so I think it's just really about sometimes greed and the, that kind of stuff, you know, obviously it, you know, it affects, it affects choices, it affects feelings and, and, and how you move forward. All right. All right. At the beginning of the episode, you heard me talking about distro kid, I'm going to mention them again because it's worth it to me. I really think that if you are an artist, you should have an easy and comfortable way to upload your music and get it distributed to all the streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, YouTube Music, blah, 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 all that stuff. You should have a way to do that. DistroKid makes it really easy. And also, they don't take a percentage. They do not take a percentage of your royalties. That's amazing. All they do is charge a yearly fee. I love it. I use it. If you're making your own music and want to put it out there in the world, I would suggest using DistroKid. That's that. Easy as that. Let's get back to the interview. It feels like now more than ever... 
there are so many tools for artists to be independent and put things out themselves if they have that hustle in them or if they have that side of them. Not everybody is as business-minded as you or me or many other people who can do that. And that's it doesn't mean that anybody's better or worse. Some people it's just like, ah, if I'm doing this, all of my energy goes into this and I don't have the bandwidth to think about my digital distribution. So I need somebody else. Mm-hmm. But it feels like there is so many different levels now of, oh, I can get a mentor to help me understand and know what it is to get to this next level. And then maybe, you know, a couple people on my team to help that or and, and kind of gradually grow rather than maybe in the past absolutely needing a label to get that distribution, to get on, well, I guess distribution in general. Radio is different. but Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's good and it's bad, you know, because, you know, things just get a little crowded, you know, should we say. Mm. Um, and, you know, like, for instance, um, I, you know, I, I signed on with uh, SoundCloud and Repo, so I A&R for them. I'm one of the, you know, I do, a, you know, a partnership with them. And SoundCloud, you know, they have like a huge community over there of kids that are just making music and putting it out there and they're making a living, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're getting by and they're fine. And, but there's a huge community there. And, and then SoundCloud decided, well, what if we could offer more, you know, for these, you know, the ones that are starting to pop off or Linda, you come in and you bring artists to us and we can offer label services like marketing, small advances, sync, um, distribution, all of that. And I'm loving what they're doing. It's still very new. Um, Mm -hmm. but I had a feeling about SoundCloud. I woke up one day and I'm, and I never thought about SoundCloud ever. And then um, I found them and I I called up Agile and I'm like, what are you guys doing over there? Because I woke up thinking about you guys and that must mean something. And then he laughed and he's (laughs) like, well, actually this is what we're doing. And funny that you're calling because we would love someone like you to be a part of it. And so, yeah, so Surfboard was one of my first signings that I brought over there, and they've been great because the thing is, yeah, you you don't need labels, so to say, but you do need vision and you do need a team. Yeah. And that team, it's extremely important, you know, because those people will help you, you know, with your vision and 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 drive you and 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 if you have the drive and the motivation and you see the vision, you need a team to help you. And so there are, there, there's stuff like that available. So yeah. also you have to, it depends on the artist. Some artists might just want to just make five grand a month and call it a day, you know? Mm -hmm. So it really depends on what's going on out there. But then there's a lot of, again, not great stuff and gets in the way of the good stuff. Yeah. It's crowded. That was a good way of saying it. I liked that. That It's crowded. I want to shift back to guitar a little bit from your producer, songwriter perspective. In the the case of guitar tone, guitar players love tones. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We love pedals. We love amps and all these. You know this. Mm -hmm. You know this yourself as a guitar player. What do you think, like what always works and what is really hard to make work? And and I'll, I'll expand a little bit on that. Like sometimes guitar players are like, oh my gosh, I have this cool pedal that does this thing, and it's just like I don't know any. That just never seems to work in a song. Like and and then guitar players are like, well, how come I'm so low in the mix compared to this this what part or whatever? It's like so I'm curious. 
as far as tones go, what in generally speaking, I know it's case by case basis, in general, what really works and what is really hard to make work? Well, first, again, depends on the genre of music. Mm -hmm. Um, Then it depends on the song. So for me, the most important part of the song is the drums. You get the drums right in a song, the drummer and the drums sound right, then the song takes on its life, you know, um, and then I can start figuring out what uh, everything else is doing. Because listen, I'm not a, I'm not a DW set, you know, big stadium sounding person. I don't, I don't like that drum sound. Sure. I like old school ladies, you know, with like five microphones and I get a cool sound. It's unique. It's cool. And then I start looking for the players. So it's kind of like, so once you get the song and say your, your songwriter, your artist is piano driven and you, mm-hmm. that's a different story. You know, that's a different yeah. sound for guitars. So you got a piano driven, you know, alternative star and they're playing. And so the drums have to match with that piano because there's your low weight. There's your weight. You know, you got this yeah. piano and you got this drums. There's your warmth. And then you got to figure out how to now bring the bass in that creates more of that lower frequency that can support the kick drum and the weight of the piano, right? Then I instantly start looking for that higher sound from the guitar. So, you know, it might be, you know, a 335 uh, with Fender, uh, a Fender with the bass rolled off a little bit, a slap of reverb in there, not a lot. Again, I always go for the older sounding equipment, not because it's cooler. Sure. They just sound better. An old, sure. a, a, a 65 or a 57 Fender Deluxe sounds way better than a 2021 version of it. It just is, yeah. you know, because it just does. Yeah. And older guitars sound better because they were built better, the electronics are better, and they are worn in. You know, they're worn. They got life. They got that thing. Somebody played this guitar and they loved it. And it's just got built in warmth, you know? So mm-hmm. got to remember that. The the thing about, you know, vintage is not because, oh, look, I have all these vintage stuff. It just sounds better. But there's sure. acoustic guitars. It's, Taylor makes great acoustic guitars that are, you know, that beat my old Martins, you know? So anyway, so, you know, there's that version. But if it's like a punk band like I just did, and I'm, I get, uh, honestly, I don't like the, you know, like that ratty, you know, overdrive distortion from the Marshall sound that's just thin and piercing. There's nothing unique to me about that. So with Surfboard, I just dialed in a kind of a cool drum sound and then all small amps. Like I had one of the um, players in a little tiny Supro. One of the guys was in, you know, a Selmer amp, all small amps, you know, two microphones, got 57 and got my Royer in there. And, you know, and then pedals, didn't really get involved with pedals. I either over, you know, drove the uh, pre or got enough of a crack on the amp. And then when we did overdubs, then that's when I bring out the the pedals, but very subtle, like it was part of the live guitar. And so it wasn't like all of us, because, you know, again, I didn't want to overproduce that band, but 
those guitar tones are so great. They just have like a really unique sound. So when you put it up against like their older stuff or other punk bands, it sounds cool. Like it's taken on this whole other hybrid of something. I'm not too sure what it is, but it's crisp, it's clear, but it's ratty and it's still cool and it's trashy and it's punk, but you can hear the guitars, you can hear them, what they're playing, you know? So anyways, it, it, and, and then you go to country, you're dealing with different tones. And, you know, so I think really it's about what what song you're doing and, and what vibe you want. Do you want Radiohead kind of cool shit like that? Well, then you totally whip out the pedals, but really mess them up and do really cool things and take off all the EQ or all the low end off of guitars. Sometimes I'll do that. So it's almost sounds broken, you know, and mm. not filtered, you know, like how people, I, I'll tell you what I don't do. I don't use the box to manipulate sounds. I record the mm. sounds. Ah, yeah. You get everything coming yes. in the way you want yeah, it to sound. I get it coming in that way. And then there's a couple times where I'll fuck with something on, in tools, but I do not. Tools to me is a, a recording. It's a tape recorder. It's a, sure. a recording yeah. device. It's not something I sit there and try to manipulate a bunch of stuff. I have, you know, my Pultex and my Fairchilds. I got so much great gear. I would, it would be like, you know, I just try to move microphones around. I change snares. I change kicks. I change players and just make sure that I'm recording the best sound I can. Yeah. And then that opens up a whole new world. Yeah. Part of the job of a producer, when you have an artist who's, like you're saying, maybe a, a piano-driven singer-songwriter, maybe just a, a punk singer or pop artist, whatever. Part of the job as a producer is being a casting director, mm, mm-hmm. choosing the right cast of musicians. Like you're saying, sometimes just getting a different player. When you're thinking about casting a guitar player in particular, what are the qualities of that player that you are looking for? Well, I'm super lucky because my guys, I have my team and um, I'm a great guitar player. Like if I want weird and shit like that, I'm, I'm, I'm that person. I'm, I am, um, I'm actually a lot better than I realize. And until I start playing, I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. Who played guitar on that? And it's like, <laughs> you did. I'm like, oh my God, it's so good. So, but I have a team of guys that are just in bands and mm-hmm. I don't hire session players. I don't, not that I don't like session players, but I don't want to work that way. I don't want sure. to work on a time clock. You know, I want to just mm. have my guys come in here where we know each other. It's like they're my band. Yeah. And then I have alternates. So I'll have another guitar player, an alternate bass player, alternate drum, all alternate, you know, basic people. And that, but those are my guys. I don't sway from my guys. They're my guys. I'm loyal to them. I love them. And they're very unique because they can, my guys played, you know, on Dolly, you know, Parton, where they're not country guys at all, but our interpretation of country was so awesome that she was like, holy hell, what is this? What did you do to these songs? Because these we I re-recorded some of her <laughs> old songs and she was like, yeah. I don't know how you did it, you know, but I thought you were going to come in and I, you know, when they said Linda Perry was going to produce, you know, some of these songs, I thought, you know, you were going to do it pop and, you know, and I get it, you know, and I was going to be play along like I do, but oh my God, I was sitting in my chair. I was sitting and spinning around because I don't know what you did, but the songs sound alive and they sound like actual players and, you know, anyways, but, 
And, and she's like, where, where are they from? Or were they here in Nashville? I'm like, no, they're just all guys in like rock bands, you know, but they're, yeah. you know, and so to me, those are the greatest musicians and, and players because the job is not to emulate a song. It's to feel it out. So you can, that's, what's beautiful about music. It's like, this is our interpretation of country. This is my interpretation of rock and R and B and pop, but you know, and I think that that's why I feel like I've been successful because I just stay true to what I know. And I know good players and I know how to record. Yeah. Now, whether I don't know the genre, but that doesn't matter. That's not a part of the deal. I don't need to know the genre. Sure. I don't need to know all about R&B. I just need to feel it and do my version of it. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Do you think there's something inherently different about the mindset of a session player versus a band player? Yeah. They're making shitloads of money. They're watching the clock. They are being high. I worked with a a session player before, and it was my first and last time. But basically, you know, I needed a drummer, and this particular artist I was working on wanted, you know, this particular drummer. And that guy came in, played the song three times, didn't listen to anything that I wanted. It's like, you you hired me. Mm. And when people hire me, they want me. Got it. And, you know, I'm like, eh, no, I don't do that. You know, I didn't use this, this session at all. And, um, you know, because I'm too opinionated. I like, if I'm going in, I don't want all the frills. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, no, 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 no. I don't need that. I don't need all your frills here. I just need you to keep it, you know, and then get yeah. off of the back, whatever, the rim shots, dude. I don't want rim shots. You know, rim shots are for 80s bands, you know, like I'm not in there or the power 90s, you know, it's like, I just want you to hit, I want to hear the tone, <laughs> you know, of the drum. I don't I don't want to hear yeah. wood block. If I wanted to wood block, I'd be like, you know, slapping on, you know what I mean? It's so crazy. Like some drummers, the way they, they perform. So, but you know, I like, I love drums. I have, I'm a drum collector. So I have so many snares, so many drums and they're so beautiful. Like when you pair the the right drums together with the right song and the right player, it's like, mm-hmm. it. Joey Wanerker is like so great. He's like, he's got that feel. Yeah. You know, when Joey plays, it's like, he's just got a feeling. He's not hitting the drums too hard, but you know, I have a guy named Sterling Laws that he pretty much plays on most of my stuff. And, um, same way. It's just, all you need to know is how to hit the drums and get out of the way of the song Mm -hmm. and support it. So yes, I'm a director. I'm going to cast the, the, the movie right now. And here's the players. This is your job. You're going to be supportive, you know, emotional support guy. You know, and you, you're going to get angry and aggro sometimes on the guitar and I want to hear it, you know, and bass player, you're the glue, dude. Yeah. You're my fucking glue. You're going to sit there and you're going to glue all of this madness together, you know, and the artist, you got to do whatever the fuck you want, you know, but my guys are going to be here to support you. I love that. Do you feel more at home and, and stronger as an artist in the producer role? Or do you feel like you said you wanted to make your own albums and Four Non Blondes was a, you're part of a band, but do you feel stronger and more expressive as an artist through producing and songwriting or through being a front person yourself? 
I'm not 100% sure what my strength is yet. I'm, I've been looking for my superpower, but truthfully, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I've been doing for, you know, since I got in this business. Um, I <laughs> learned how to produce by just turning knobs, you know, because I didn't want that control taken away from me. I have ears, I have ideas, and I needed to learn how to do it because I don't like to rely on people. But I don't know what mm. I'm doing. I'm just... It's, it's just me. I'm just turning knobs and it, oh, it sounds good. Great. You know? And then when it comes to songwriting, I fucking don't know what I'm doing either. I like, I, you know, literally will. If you gave me like, give me three chords, you know, I'll just sit here and I'll just go. And I could be in a country mood, right? I don't know what I'm saying right now. Cause lately I've been feeling lonely down, but time won't go my way anymore. You know what I mean? Like I, that's, that's me just ad libbing. So I ad lib words. It just comes out. I have no idea. Um, I have no idea how it happens. It just does. And it's actually kind of fascinating because I can do a whole album if I wanted to in a day ad libbing like that. And then I think maybe my best superpower is I'm a great listener. Mm. I'm really good with artists. I'm really good at helping them find their way through their emotions. I'm a very emotional person. I believe that we all have our song to sing. And I just try to help everybody find that song and that the emotional one, the one that's really true to who they are. Because I know that when you find your song, it opens up a whole other world and the creative just starts beginning. And um, so that might be my best quality is that I just take the time. I'm patient. I take the time with people to help them find their way through, you know, back to your earlier question about, you know, who they are. And um, so, and it's really satisfying, gratifying to do that and see the connection make, yeah. you know, the con- connected, you know, the person make that connection. Like all of a sudden they're like, oh, I had no idea I was struggling with these kind of emotions. You know, a lot of artists are blocked, you know, um, mm. because they're not, they're not being told to have these emotions. They're being told to follow the game plan because this is how, like I have this kid when he, when I see him, and I start talking to him, I just get weepy. His story makes me weepy. It's a story of being in a really big label that wanted him to be something that he wasn't and him wanting to play the good guy and not disrupt anything, not, you know, create any opt- or, or whatever, whatever, not just wanted to follow along. And he ended up doing everything everybody ever told him to do and lost the label, lost the management, lost all the other people and ended up in a really, really bad place. And then all of a sudden he was just like, you know, I know one thing I haven't done. I haven't listened to what I wanted. So he started figuring out what he wanted. And, oh my God, he played me some music the other day. And I was just like, holy shit, dude, you're doing it. You found it. And his story is just that, mm-hmm. that, that story you should, you know, a lot of people should hear. It's just how we can get fucked up by listening to other people that really don't know what they're fucking talking about. They only know how to get the easy route. It's like, you know, the labels, the business hands out a pamphlet 
this is how you make it. You got to do this, this, and this, and that. And they try to pan that off to everybody. Like, this is going to work for everyone. And it doesn't. It doesn't work for everyone. Wow. I can't wait to hear that album. Uh, you don't have to tell us who it is. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not. Um, but I'm going to, I'm not, I have a really wonderful idea for him. And so I'm really excited about, you know, I didn't plan on coming in because, Mind you, not only do I have my whole life, you know, all this other shit going on, I'm also managing artists and I don't know how and I don't know why. Again, I don't know what I'm doing, but I have honesty. I have great ideas and I know how to execute, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and I have a lot of passion. So I just stumbled into this area of management. Again, not sure what I'm doing, but right now I'm doing okay. And if somebody else came along that was better than me, I'd be like, please take them. You know, like I'm I, like, I'm kind of like just here for right now until something better comes along. And, um, but I'm really excited about working with this kid because I just think I really want to be able to help him find his voice. And I think he's really close. Sure. To close things off, clearly you are somebody who, who takes mentorship seriously, who, who has a lot of wisdom and just knows from, from different perspectives, clearly from being in the business for so long, from the songwriting, producing, singing, creating, instrumentalist. What is what, like, if you had one real message to send to young musicians, artists, creatives in general for today, like, and what I mean today, I, I guess I mean that kind of like with a capital T, like in general today. Like what, what do you have to say to young artists that are, that are like, I think I'm about to do this thing and they just need one piece of advice from Linda Perry. What is that? (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know about advice because again, I think sometimes advice fucks people up. Um, All I can say is right now where I feel a massive void is, um, women in audio. You know, I'd like to have more girls show up and because I can call a, a a studio and say, Hey, I need you to hire five girls to work in your studio, but they're not going to be there. And they'll say yes for you, Linda, of course, but they, there won't be five girls to, for them to hire. So my big thing I'm just trying to do, there's plenty of artists, there are plenty of musicians, plenty of people knowing what they need to do. I, they don't need advice from, you know, Linda Perry. But I need to tell the girls that are sitting there, they're listening, that, you know, it wasn't, it, being a producer and an engineer, should I say, because I engineer everything. It's not sexy because, you know, back then you see a bunch of old farts sitting, you know, in these, you know, oversized shirts and looking like they haven't, you know, took a shower in in weeks. And what girl wants to look at that and go, oh, that looks sexy. I want to be a part of that. But I'm trying to really get girls to, to jump in and know that it's so powerful to be able to turn those knobs and create sounds and be that that captain, you know, to be that director, to help people, you know, really discover their sound. Um, because right now there's a lot of girls that are, you know, this is just a fact. So please know that I'm not just saying this to bug out, but the a fact is there's a lot of girls that are being sexualized in studios. 
um, being told that they don't know what they're talking about, being afraid to go into a studio with the guy that is their, you know, person that has been sexualizing them, coming on to them, doing all this stuff. But I got to do this because the label's going to get mad at me or my management's going to think I'm difficult. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to go through it. I'm just going to do it because I want it so bad. And I've worked with so many women that have come into my studio and saying, oh my God, working with you is like a dream because I feel safe. I feel safe. That's a problem for me to hear that I have artists coming in here saying they feel safe with me because I'm a woman and I'm not sitting there you know, groping them or saying inappropriate things. So my thing is right now is I need more girls in those studios, need more girls and sitting at the board here, knowing what they're doing, because it is cool. It is sexy. It's awesome. It's empowering. It's so amazing. And we need more women in these studios for these artists to feel safe. And that is just a fact. That is a truth. There's 5% of the women make up audio you know, and I want to see that number 50, 50. There's no reason why there shouldn't be more women in the business in, in behind the board and, and doing tech. But the problem is, is they're not getting the education. They're not getting the mentoring and then they're not getting the opportunity. So I got to create inspiration. Then I got to create uh, the education and then I got to help with the opportunities. So that's what I am working on right now. So that's my advice is to explore the possibilities of what you can do. Not every chick has to be a fucking pop star is running around with the boob tube. You know, it's like, we don't have to do that. We can do so much more than that, you know, and it's empowering. Mm-hmm. There, there's my lack of advice. That's a great, that's a great word. I really appreciate you sharing that. And I really, really appreciate you sharing your time today. What a true honor to have you on the podcast. So thank you so much, Linda. Thanks for being here. Thank you. There you have it. Absolute legend. Linda Perry. I got to get in the room and write with Linda. That would be super fun. I'd be curious to see what what comes out or what, what was drawn out of me if Linda were producing something of mine or if we were working or collaborating on something together. Um, that would be fun. Anyway, thanks so much for joining us this week. I really appreciate you listening to these interviews. This is so fun for me, and hopefully you're getting something out of these as well. So smash that subscribe or the follow button, whatever platform you're on. I don't know. Podcasts are like everywhere nowadays, so subscribe, follow. I don't know. You know you know what I'm asking. And the only reason I'm asking it is because that way you get alerted every time there's a new episode, and I feel good about every episode that I put out. Otherwise, I don't put them out. <laughs> How about that? All right. Thanks. We'll see you next week. Peace.